This morning as we get into God's word, I'm, I'm reminded of one, what one pastor uh, said, one teacher, one teacher said, and he says some, some sections or some portions of scripture are more like minefields full of explosives rather than a treasure chest full of truth. You know, some portions of Scripture are like a minefield full of explosives rather than a treasure chest full of truth. And, and, I, and I definitely feel the portion of Scripture we're looking at uh, this morning, Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22, basically all the way through chapter 6, verse 9. I f- definitely feel it's one of those minefields. And uh, this is one of those topics and portions of Scripture that many pastors avoid. I won't lie, especially in today's environment with the, the, given the rise of this radical feminist movement, and I say radical feminism, this portion of scripture can so easily be misunderstood. Because this is one of those portions of scripture that can easily be classified in today's world as politically incorrect. How can you say something like that? And I'll be honest, initially and I had to think through this a lot because I wanted to just glance over it and get to the fun part of the armor of God, you know, and, and, and you know, because that's the more fun part. There's more to do, more to describe and everything else. And, and the Spirit really, I believe the Lord really had to check me and challenge me in this area. And, and, and I've titled my message this morning, and I'll go as much as I can go on, Family Matters. Just Family Matters. And you can divide, uh, we've talked about this earlier, the whole book of Ephesians can be easily cut into those two portions, you know, where the first three portions have this theological uh, influence or theological thrust versus the last three portions deal more with uh, the practical implications of, of, uh, of this, whereas the first three portions talk about our position in Christ, the, f- the last three chapters talk about more our conduct and behavior. As Christians, and you know, the last three chapters, the, the overarching theme there is to live lives worthy of our calling as believers. To live worthy, to live lives worthy, and, and we see how it works its way out, whether it be at, in our workplaces, or whether it be just in our social life, and you know, or just within even our families, and we see how this works it, itself out, the first three chapters works itself out. And this morning, like I said, it has to do a lot more with the home and the family. And that's why I've called it Family Matters. And so beginning from verses 22, 522 all the way to 6, uh, 9. Let's read that together and we can put in 521 there because that's the, the connecting point right there. But Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Verse 22. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. His body of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Verse 25. Husbands. Love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. 
to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands are to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hates their own body, but they feed and take care of their body just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I, sorry, this is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. There's so much going back and forth. Verse, uh, chapter 6, verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with the respect and fear, with respect and fear, and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor with their eye when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people, because you know the Lord will reward each one for whatever good they do, whether they are slaves or free. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know he who is both their masters and yours in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him. I know it's a large portion of scripture, and I was pretty uh, intentional in reading the whole thing. But as you look at this portion of Scripture from verses uh, 522 to 6, uh, 9, you find three kind of categories that kind of jump out to you pretty, uh, pr- pretty obvious in this, in this portion. And it's kind of interesting when Martin Luther was, uh, who's the main proponent and starting of the whole Protestant Re- Reformation, while he was translating uh, this portion of Scripture from the Greek and the Latin and, and uh, kind of writing his commentary on this, he kind of comes to this section and he calls it the household table of duties. I thought it was interesting. Household table of duties, three categories uh, in the section. The first category, which is pretty obvious, is between husband and wives. The second category here that we see is parents and children. And the third category is masters and slaves. Husband and wife, we see from verses 22 all the way through verse 33. Parent and child is seen from verse, uh, chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. And then master and slave, you see verses, uh, chapter 6, verses 5 uh, through 9. And even as you study this, and uh, you know, this is one of the places that uh, I feel the chapter break kind of when they put it together, was kind of missed a little here because I think uh, chapter 6 should have, again, I think chapter 6 should have started in uh, verse 10. If you look at it, uh, chapter 6, verse 10, it says, finally be strong in the Lord. And so I, I think, again, it should have been done there. Again, I'm just 
I'm just a nobody, but I'm very grateful. Please understand. We're very grateful for chapters and verse divisions because most of us know in the original uh, uh, Greek, there was no, there's no chapter divisions. There's no verse, even the verse divisions. That was uh, added much later, and it's definitely, definitely beneficial. But I think this is one of the spots where they could have pushed it back a little. Anyway, just, just me. I'm, I'm, I mean, just... Just me. Anyway, uh, let's look at this passage as we look at it. Let's look at and get in the ca- context a little more. And a few key words that I think we need uh, to take out or draw from, uh, which we can call like subheadings. Because Paul is pretty clear in his writing right here. Because he talks to husbands. He says wives in 22 and 25. He says husbands. In, in 6 verse 1, he talks about children. 6 verse 4 is fathers. 6 verse 5 slaves. And in 6 uh, verse 9, he talks about masters. And so he, these headings, if you want, or subheadings, and the roles are defined in that portion of Scripture. Different people that he is addressing in this portion. And we've got to be really careful when we approach this. Especially when it comes to the uh, part where it talks about slaves and masters. We've got to, we've got to be careful because today that word is such a negative term right now. I mean, it is, we've got to be careful not to view history from today's ethical standards. Okay, and not allow that to cloud the way we read scripture either. You know, because we can just totally just cancel everything just because it says something here. And we need to be careful. Um, and because... Uh, when it talks about slaves right here, he's more talking about the people who work in the house more than anything else or work in the fields. It's people, it's part of the household, people who work there. One translator puts it like, it says it's, it's beneficial to look at it as boss or employer and the employee. Just to get what he's trying to say here rather than allow the negative connotation to just, you know, uh, to cloud the way we look at this. But you talk about these relationships right here, and none of them is easy. Husbands and wives, parents and children, slaves and masters, you know, none of these relationships are easy. They're all challenging because they're all, all of them stir up emotions and strong emotions. They all do. Strong feelings. They also are reasons for most of the conflict that we have. Because things break down. Things break down. They don't, I mean, you know, they don't talk to each other. They often, very often given uh, because none of them are willing to, to take that first step to resolve something. Again, I'm not, I'm no expert at this. But we've got to see this from God's perspective too. Husbands and wives, parents and children. I mean, you see the lack of intimacy sometimes because there's no communication. Something as simple as that. You don't have a good boss or a good worker and what do you do? You avoid that person at all costs. You just go on the other side of the street like the Samaritan, you know, the people, the priest and the Samaritan. You just do that all the time. All these, I use the phrase emotionally charged. These relationships are emotionally charged. But I want us and I want to challenge us first to look at things a little differently. I want to keep something in mind as we, as we set up this passage. Firstly, we've got to keep in mind the broader context within which this is written. 
We've got to keep in mind the broader context. Remember Ephesians 4, 5, and 6. The overarching theme is what? Living lives worthy of the calling. That's the overarching theme. Okay, now within that, he comes down and as he comes down to chapter 5, chapter 5 verse 7, uh, verses 18, he says, be filled with the Spirit. How do we live lives worthy of the calling? Verse 5, verse 16 is by being filled with the Spirit. And now we see how that works its way out. And verse 21 says, in submission to one another. So you've got to keep, encourage you, keep the broader context in, in mind. To live lives worthy of the calling, we've got to be filled with the Spirit. And how does that manifest itself? In submission to one another out of reverence for Christ. I miss uh, mentioning this last, uh, last uh, Sunday. I had it in my notes, but I miss mentioning it. Actually, if you look at verses, uh, chapter 5, verses 18, 19, 20, and 21, they're actually one sentence in the Greek. It's absolutely one sentence. And so it's good to read the whole thing together because it is one sentence. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery, but this is the part. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. And this is all one sentence. Speaking to one another. How does it manifest? This filling of the Spirit is manifest itself in speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Singing and making music from your heart to the Lord. Always giving thanks to the God, to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And so he's talking about a spiritual life and how it manifests itself in this portion. He gives us these things. And so we need to be careful not to separate what's being said from now on from that context. It's all flowing from being filled with the Spirit. Living worthy lives, being filled with the Spirit. And now the second thing I want us to keep in mind is this. All these relationships that he's talking about, three, husbands and wives, parents and children, slaves and masters, all of them depend on one concept that we find, the one theme that we find in verse 21, submission. Submission. All these relationships flow from that verse, submit one to another. Husbands to wives, parents to children, both ways it goes. Submit one to another. Slaves and masters. Wives submitting to their husbands. Husbands loving their wives. Wives submitting to their husbands and submitting to his God-given role. Husbands must apply submission in their love and honoring and supporting their wives and treating them with respect. Children must understand submission, otherwise what? There's going to be a breakdown. We obey. We will never obey if you don't submit. That's just, the, that's just the rule. That's just the way it goes. If you don't submit, we won't obey. Then verse 4, of course, it says about applying submission in terms of not provoking our children. I mean, I know and I realize this, especially coming from the context in India, I think it's a little more, uh, it's a little more, what should I say, visible. Where fathers make kind of unrealistic demands and have a critical spirit more than, you know, they don't have, they don't even try to hide it sometimes. Sometimes we place unrealistic expectation on our kids and, you know, we need to realize the Holy Spirit's got to teach them submission too. 
instead of us just forcing them to submit. I don't know. We need submission. Submitting to God to help us lead. Submit to God to help us lead. Bosses need to have a submissive spirit to their employees too so that they can get the most out of their employees because that's when employees submit to the bosses because they know what submission is from their boss. It's just an interesting concept overall, this whole idea of submission. But that idea of submission just flows through this whole passage and one commentator put it, put it so well. He says, think about a bottle of ink that breaks and then that ink seeps all the way through from verses 22 to 6, verse 9. 522 to 6, verse 9. Submission is that ink bottle that flows all the way through because there is a submission from one to another. So first thing, remember the broader context of being filled with the Spirit. Remember that this word submission goes both ways. And third thing that I want to keep in mind is, and I want to acknowledge, is that this portion of Scripture has been misapplied, misrepresented in so many areas even within the church. It's just a fact that this passage has been misapplied for generations and the impact it has has been devastating. Talk about religious zealots and fanatics, you know. They've used the scripture to manipulate people to do what they want to do. And because the world has seen that, they have rebelled against this totally. Rebelled against it totally. I was reading one, and it said, it made so much sense. Dominance is never spirit-filled leadership. Dominance is never spirit-filled leadership. Dominance or domination, sorry, is sinful. It's manipulating, and it is unfair abuse, and has nothing to do with what the Lord is teaching in this passage at all. Nothing to do with it at all. Whoever teaches and uses the scripture to dominate others and manipulate others is just twisting scripture for his own benefit. That's what cults do all the time. If you study cults, that's what a leader does all the time. Take scripture and twist it for his own benefit. The misapplication of the scripture, I feel, has directly contributed to the rise in feminism. And right now what we have is this radical feminism right now. That has no idea what the scripture really means. But they just don't want anything to do with it. I mean it just. It's really. Uh, if I can say. They, what we have right now is they've pushed it to the other extreme. And in fact they've pushed that boundary even further right now. And if you think I'm being. Uh, uh, this gets me a lot. It bothers me a lot. And if you think I'm exaggerating this. Or just emphasizing this way too much. Try this. You go to work or you hang out in the break room with the lunch while you're having lunch or drinking a cup of coffee, just say something like this. Yesterday we went to church or last Sunday my pastor talked about wives submitting to husbands. And don't say anything else. What kind of reaction do you think? The reason you're laughing is because you know what you're going to get. But that's exactly what scripture tells us. And I think it's time to tell them what it really means from a biblical perspective, from God's perspective. Yes, sin and the fall has tainted what God's ideal has always been. But I want to challenge you for these next few moments to look at it through God's perspective. Fight the urge to bring your experience into this passage for a little while. Because see what God intended it to be. I'm not denying your experience, I'm not making uh, small or whatever 
your experiences. But for a few moments, look at it the way God, or the way Scripture defines it, the way Paul defines it right here. And I think what makes it worse is the whole gender blender blending, you know, that's happening right now. That just makes the roles even more confusing. But I challenge you this morning, and I really, I know it is a challenge to look at it from a strictly biblical perspective for a little while. Okay, again, I'm not negating your experiences. I'm not negating the abuse of what has happened. But for a moment, look at it purely from a biblical perspective. The truth is this, and, and the reason I, I, I'm challenging you to do this, and uh, the reason God challenged me to do this, if I can say it that way, because I was ready to move on to the armor of God. Because I think it's time we really stand up for what the Bible says the way it says it to. Not always be quick to push our experience into reading what God's word says. We do that. We bring our experience to God's word. But let's not be quick to do that. And I really am. One of the things that I'm really passionate about is, is, is studying and sharing scripture the way scripture says it is. Rather than the way I want it to say or the way you want to hear it either. That makes sense. Challenge you again. Look at it from a biblical perspective, not from the perspective of what culture says, and not from the perspective through your own experience. For a few moments, let's listen to the truth the way God intended it to be. And please understand. And uh, people will. The reason we laugh is because we know people will ridicule uh, us if we stand up for this. They will make fun of us. Call us all kinds of names if you ever bring this up. They will. But I want to challenge you to do this anyway. I was reading, uh, I was listening actually to one preacher, I don't, I don't know who, uh, on the radio, and he said, he said this, not, nothing to do with this passage, but he just said this. Uh, if, he says, be careful when everybody loves you because it could mean that you are actually swimming with the current and not standing up against it. He, I, I just, it made me stop and think about it. Be careful when everybody loves you because it could mean, okay, it could mean that you are actually swimming with the current, not standing up against it. And then he goes on to say, that's why we need a community of believers because we don't stand alone against the current. And so anyway, it was a different context. But let's look at verse 21. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Be submissive to one another. Another translation, be subject to one another out of respect for Christ. Hear me out here. A spirit-filled believer is a submissive person. A spirit-filled believer is a submissive person. Don't be quick to say, but, you know, I am just like that. No, it's not. You are just not like that. It's no longer you that live, but Christ that lives in you. And our model is Christ-like. And if he could submit to the cross, a spirit-filled believer is a submissive person. Again, I'm not discounting or invalidating your experience But that's just the truth. A spirit-filled believer is a submissive person. And it's kind of interesting because the word that's used in the the Greek right there, uh, it's hopatasso, which which really is a military term. And it's an idea of arranging in order of rank, like in the military. 
It's just arranging or falling in order by rank in terms like a military term. A, a lieutenant would what? Submit to a, what? A captain and a captain would submit to a major. A major would submit to a colonel. And you know, you know, you keep going that way. And that's the idea right here. Not because one is more worthy of the other. It's because that's the way it's structured. You pay or the lieutenant is in submission to the officer above him. That's just the way it is. Now understand that and put that in, the godly, in, in God's perspective right here. God established this structure. And we play our role because we honor and respect God because he established this structure. God wants us to arrange ourselves by rank within his family. Within the family of God, there is no competition against each other. There is no competing with one another. There's no trying to outdo one another. There is no trying to pull rank on one another. There's no trying to get into or seek the limelight more than the others. No. We understand God's structure. As men, we do not dominate over women. As women, they don't dominate over men. That's not what it is. As kids, we are not rebellious against our parents. And as parents, we are respectful to our kids. As parents, we don't, you know, always look to put them in their place. No. There is this idea of submission to one another. Again, it's just, I think in, in India, there's, a, there's this over-realized the rise in... Uh, in teenage suicides because parents have such high expectations from the kids and the, parent, the kid still gets a 90 and the parents are still not satisfied and that poor kid, I mean, they choose no other alternative and they kill themselves sometimes. It's a big thing in India. Unrealistic expectations. But please understand, the whole idea right here is this. Workers are submissive to bosses as bosses are submissive and have a heart of submission to those who work under them. Parents, children are submissive to, to parents just as parents are submissive in terms of listening and honoring their kids. A spirit-filled believer is submissive because he's a submissive follower of Christ just again, just as Christ as God came down and submitted to the cross and the Father's will, we are to be submissive too. We ought to be submissive. Again, what does Romans say? Don't think too highly of yourself. Don't think too highly of yourself. It doesn't matter, church, man or woman, boy or girl, if we are spirit-filled, our model is Christ. And if Christ could show the humility in submission to God's will, we ought to do the same to one another. And when we do that, church, something amazing really happens. There's dignity, there's equality, and there's unity when we learn to submit to one another. Dignity, equality, and unity when we submit to one another. In Christ's eyes, church, there is no man, no woman. There is no child or parent. As far as worth is concerned, there is no difference. But when the roles come, they are different. When it comes to worth, they are the same. But when it comes to roles, they do exist. There is equality. There is dignity. There is unity. But there are still roles that have been established through Scripture. 
I know, like I said there, uh, my spouse, my wife is, or our spouse is worthy, as worthy as I am. But that doesn't make her the head because that's not what God called her to be. I know it's harsh and it sounds kind of so anti-everything we learn and hear from in society right now. Yes, we are equal, absolutely equal. But that's not her role to be the head. I'll explain that a little more. Kids and I, we are equal. But they don't play my role and I don't play their role at all. Their roles are established. They deserve our dignity. They deserve our respect. There is nothing, and hear me out here, there is nothing inferior about submission. I don't know why we have got that into our heads. There is nothing inferior about the role of submission because that is as Christ-like as it gets. That is just as Christ-like as it gets. Wives, chapter, uh, verse 22, wives submit uh, yourselves to your, uh, to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. Again, it does nowhere there does it imply inferiority or anything else. Throughout that, you still find dignity. You still find equality. And that's the only way you find real unity. It's God's order. It's the way He created it to be. That's the way He arranged it. That's what He said. That's what He put out, if you want to call it that. Nowhere does it take away, submission take away the dignity of a person. Nowhere does it take away the dignity of a person. And the reason those roles, I feel, the reason I think scripturally those roles need to be maintained is because otherwise there's confusion, there's anarchy, and there's just, this the whole civilization falls apart. Again, don't be quick to bring your own experience into it. Don't be quick. Look at it from God's perspective and His ideal. Yes, we're still tainted by sin and the fall affects all this. But look at it. That's the way God established it. That's the way God meant it to be. Equality, church. Equality, and I wrote this down. Equality of worth has nothing to do with the identity of your role. Equality of worth has nothing to do with the identity of your role. Again, challenging you to see it biblically and scripturally right now. You may be as worthy as your husband, but that does not give you the role of head. Husbands, as you, you may be as worthy as your wives, but that does not mean you be like an authoritarian or a dictator or tyrannical in the way you run your life. It doesn't mean that at all. Authority is not a synonym for tyranny or dominance. It is not that at all. If you are abusive to your wife or your kids, it's not right. It's sinful. That's it. It is sinful. If you are unfair in your leadership, it is sinful. If you take unfair advantage of your kids, that is sinful. If you place unrealistic expectation on your kids, it is sinful. That's not what God called us to do. None of that has anything to do with the authority that God places for us as husbands to be the head. The wife who understands God's plan willingly places herself in submission to the authority of her husband out of respect for 
Christ. Why does she do that? Because she's confident that God will honor her submission. Again, please don't, don't let your minds go to the extreme. And this is the hard part. This is what I was struggling with. Don't let your mind go to that extreme, you know. Or in terms of, of demands or behaviors, you know, of your husband or your, uh, you know. It, don't go to that extreme yet. Hear me out. John Stott says this, and I love what he says, and I'm kind of paraphrasing, paraphrasing it. We have to be very careful not to overstate this biblical teaching on authority because it does not mean that husband or parents or boss's authority is unlimited, and submission doesn't mean unconditional obedience. What he's saying here is this. If a husband, parent, or boss uses or rather abuses his authority in making demands that do not line up with scripture or demands that directly contradict the Bible. This is where we take our stand. But that's the exception, not the norm. That's when, when their demands and their expectations of us do not line up with what the Bible says, that's where we do what Peter does in front of the Sanhedrin in Acts chapter 5. Who do we obey? God's word or man? That's the exception to the rule, not the norm. He goes on to say, we submit to the point when obedience to human authority would mean disobedience to God. That is when we say, or ask the question, whom should we obey? That's when I would rather obey God than obey man. Again, please understand, that's the exception to the, to the rule. And the key there in verse 22 is the last part, as you do to the Lord. We submit, the wives submit to husbands out of respect for the Lord. Again, submission doesn't mean inferiority in any sense of the word. Don't allow the culture to determine what that meaning of that word is. Again, there have been several times in my life as pastor, I, I do what the Lord says for me to do, not because it's easy, not because I want to, and not because I'm excited to do it sometimes what He tells me to do, but because I respect Him and submit to His authority. It's the same thing when it comes to wives submitting to your husbands because you respect God's authority in placing him in that role. And I know, again, some cults, and I teach cults at Sagu, some of the cults interpret this, this passage as treat your husbands like you would treat God. I'm like, nah, it doesn't mean that at all. And, <laughs> I mean, maybe I'll try it. Heather, start worshiping me now. Come on. <laughs> I could see something come flying across the hallway. <laughs> but they do that. I mean, they, they, you, you study the cults, that's what they do. They want to be treated like God, you know, and they use the scripture to twist it and say whatever they want. Um, I don't know, sorry, my mind went somewhere else with that. Yeah, pray to me now. No. But that's not what the scripture says at all. We submit, wives submit to their husband out of respect for the Lord, because you respect the Lord, you fall into rank the way He ordained it. Amen. The way He established it. And when we do that, when wives do that to the husbands, and husbands submit to their wives or have a heart of submission, we model that for the kids. 
We model that for the kids. That doesn't mean we don't, we don't disagree. It doesn't mean we don't argue. It doesn't mean we don't get upset with one another, church. It doesn't mean that at all. I was reading an article, and this was written for pastors, and he was sharing, this pastor was sharing his story, and he says, I didn't realize how I had taken the scripture to an, extreme, to an extreme and had actually become overbearing. One day while she was doing the dishes, uh, his wife was doing the dishes, she lashed out at him and said, I don't even want to be here. And then she walked back, walked away into the bedroom. Of course, he finished doing the dishes, but he went back to the room and he saw his wife on the bed crying, saying one thing, the only reason I'm staying is because I made a pledge to stay. And it says it took him that moment to realize she was submitting to his authority, not because of her love for Christ, she was submitting in misery. And it took that for him to wake up, and it says it took him several years for them to work it out. Church, there's nothing about submission, there's nothing about authority that needs to get to our heads. Nothing. We do it because of our reverence for Christ, and that's it. We do it because of our respect for Christ. He understood his role because he realized that God had established this role. Please, we need to understand as husbands, we need to understand our role because, and we need to realize that God has established this role. He didn't get to define the authority because God defined the authority. You need to get that because it made a lot of sense to me. We need to understand that the role was established by God and the rules for that role were also established by God. We don't get to define the rules of authority. God defines it. God set the parameters by setting, I mean the parameters were set by God. And until we get that perspective, I don't think we're ready to be married really. Please do not allow the culture to determine the role. Please do not allow culture or your past to define words, submission, and authority. And again, it's not that we get it right every time. I mean, ask Heather. She'll tell you, I get it. I've blown it. I know I've blown it. I mean, it's just... We are all tainted by the fall, tainted by sin, but please understand this is what God intended for it to be. And as spirit-filled believers, we submit to what He has established and submit to the role that He has established, but also submit to the rules that He has established when it comes to husbands and wives. It makes a difference, church, when you get a biblical, biblical perspective. The husband, and then verse 23, he says, the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. You read that time and time again, and I read it so many times, and through this, I've read Ephesians every single day, except for Saturday, I mean, except for Sunday. But you read that time and time again, the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. No pressure, men. I mean, it's just like, come on. And I'll be honest, there have been times in my life that I've prayed, God, this responsibility is very unfair because the truth is this, it's easier to be a follower than to be a godly leader. It's easier to be a godly follower than to be a godly leader. That's just the truth. 
And I've prayed, God, this is too much sometimes. I'll be honest, I've read that, prayed that prayer. But look at that. It's the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. What does the head do? The head gives direction. Again, I've met people. I've done ministry in hospitals. I've met people and this person, this young man's, uh, he had a wreck on his motorcycle, totally paralyzed, waist down. And he was telling me, I want to. I'm trying my best. I'm telling my leg to move, but it won't move. And breaks my heart when I see something like that. And as I was preparing for this passage, it came to mind. If we put that in the biblical perspective, just imagine. That's the definition of a dysfunctional family. When the head wants to say something, but the body does something totally different. Again, please don't go to the extreme. Think about the way God intended for a body to function. That's how he wants the family to function as well. Put the scripture, like I said, into context. I've seen dysfunctional families, and I'll be honest, most of the time it's the husband's fault. I'll be honest. Not giving anybody a free pass today, but I just, I don't know, I'm just doing whatever I think God wants me to do today. <laughs> it's hard to lead and easier to follow, yet husbands are called to be the head. It's surprising how many churches today avoid this this passage because we don't want to preach that because we're so scared people will call us old-fashioned or whatever you know how can you even go to a church that teaches that wives submit to your husbands again the fall has destroyed god's ideal but as spirit-filled believers we want to come back to that as spirit-filled believers we want to come back to that, as spirit-filled believers, we submit one to another, just as it says in 5 verse 21. And when we really grasp and get a hold of 521, there is no problem for a woman to accept the husband as the head. And there is not a problem for a husband to lay down his life, just as Christ laid down his life for the church. That's a challenge. But when we understand 521 where it says submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. I love that part that it doesn't. It says he's talking about all these six different people. He's not giving anybody a pass when he says submit to one another. Husbands submit to wives. Wives submit to husbands. To, sorry. Wives submit to their husbands. Husbands submit to the wives. But please understand there is dignity but there is still an established role that God has established. Again, challenging. It's a challenging passage to teach. It's a challenging passage to even hear. Because, again, we're born selfish. We are raised by selfish people. We study under selfish. That's just human nature. We're driven to satisfy ourselves. That's why the whole secular humanism as a, it's just, it just terrifies me, bothers me a lot. Because we replace God and put us in the center and what suits us rather than what God wants. This passage bends us out of shape if we don't understand 521 where we submit one to another. When we understand that, we won't have a problem. Again, we don't get it right every time. We have, a, we have our disagreements. We have everything. But please understand this. Equality of worth has nothing to do with the identity of the role. It has nothing to do. You are worth the same before God. 
You're worth the same before God. One is not worth more than the other. But please understand, each of us has a role that we have to follow. Don't quit because it's hard. The grass, and I was reading this, the grass seems green, greener on the other side. But two things, the grass is probably not edible. And secondly, you're taking your junk to the nice pasture too. Work at it. Keep going. Equality of worth does not mean, uh, sorry, does not, does not equal, oh, sorry, it's not the same as identity of roles. And the second thing I said is authority does not, uh, is not a synonym for tyranny or domination. It definitely is not. Just because we are the head doesn't mean we take, an advan we take advantage of opposition. Jesus never did it, neither should we. Wives ought to love their husbands enough to submit to them. Husbands ought to love their wives enough to die for them. That's what it comes down to. Headship is not dictatorship. Headship is being Christ-like. Every spirit-filled believer is marked by his submission to Christ. And that's what it talks about. It's nourishing and, not, and cherishing and nothing else. Bow your heads with me. Church, there's so much I wrote down here. I got another quote. It says, a man of quality is never threatened by a woman of equality. A man of quality is never threatened by a woman of equality. It takes a secure and humble man to lead like Christ, and it takes a godly and humble wife to follow him. I want to end with this one story, and this happened when I was in England. I met this young man who was, uh, he was in his 20s to early 20s, and we were at this Christian, uh, at this place where uh, we had several Christian leaders, and you know, the, and most of us, the rest of us were all uh, just, Youngsters, none of us were married really, but the rest of these leaders were all married and they, they were there and this, this young man told me his story and how he really, really came to love Christ and he used the example of marriage and he was talking about how he overheard, we all stayed in this one big house and how he overheard the leader and his wife having a terrible argument really bad argument and he was just there overheard what was happening and and he wasn't saved at that time and he he was like in his mind he says this is not going to end well they're going to walk away but he says that evening i saw them both holding hands and walking in the garden together he says and they says something about that just bothered me something about that just got me and then he talked to talked to those leaders after that and they sat with him and they went through this scripture and the scripture that we just read where he talked about yes we have our disagreements yes we have whatever you know we argue and yes things seem so bad but we're both driven by the love for Christ and because we love Christ we submit to one another at the end of it all and just those words made a difference in this young person's life. And that's what actually helped lead him to, to God. If that was just a reflection of God's love for us, he says, that's what I wanted, really, Sid. And we talked about it. 
this is just, I don't know, it's just such an uncomfortable, and let me tell you, I'm, like I said, I was just out of my, whatever, comfort zone preaching a message like that, but this is something that I think needs to be said, needs to be heard, and it's not just about husbands and not just about wives submitting to their husbands. There's no free pass for the husbands at all. There is no free pass. Please understand one of the marks of a spirit-filled believer. One of the marks of a spirit-filled believer is his heart or her heart of submission. Submit to God. And as a wife, it's submission to the husband who's the head established by God. We don't get to define the role. We don't get to define the role and we don't get to define the rules something we seek God for and trust Him. We do it because of our respect and our love for God. Again, I challenge you, church. Look at this passage from a biblical perspective. Yes, bring your experiences to the table. But hear what the Lord has to say. Hear the heart of God through it as well. husbands it's not authority doesn't mean unlimited control it's about loving our wives as Christ loved the church leading as Christ led goodness we need help None of us would have a problem or will have a problem if we understand. We understand God's purpose in it all. God's design in it all. And understanding that submission is one to another. We won't have a problem with playing the role when we understand that. It's the most Christ-like thing. One of the, <coughs> one of the most Christ-like things that we can do. Submitting to one another. Wives to husbands, husbands to wives, parents to kids, kids to parents. Masters to slaves, slaves to masters. Let's all stand to our feet and worship Him in this time.
Church, I told you at the beginning, it's not an easy message to preach. It pushes me way outside my comfort zone. But why should I be embarrassed about what the Bible says? Why should we be embarrassed to embrace what the Word of God says? The whole idea, please, the whole idea of submission and authority has nothing to do with equality because equality is the same. We submit because we understand Christ's role. We submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. It's one of the most Christ-like things we can do. It's not about dominating and being dominated by someone. It's not that at all. But it's the willingness to submit out of respect for Christ. Because we trust God in what He said, the way He established the family to be. We trust Him. And I have no problem submitting falling in rank to what God has established. Husbands, we love our wives. Love them enough to lay down our lives for them. To lead them like Christ leads the church. Goodness, we need help. That's why we need to be filled by the Spirit of God. All this is because we are filled by the Spirit of God. Father, thank you once again, O God. We thank you for your word that is eternal, your word that is established, your word that is not a mistake, your word that we hold dear, your word that we long to obey. Even though it goes against everything within us, it goes against everything that the world has to say. We trust in you. We commit ourselves into your hands, O God. Commit ourselves into your hands, God. Give us the strength we need as your Spirit dwells in us. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. 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 God bless you guys.